0: This Wonderlearn episode is brought to you by Sawyer, those guys who make those incredibly good water filters. They have not just made great water filters, but they've actually donated over a million of those filters to over 20 countries around the world. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't think about. When you filter water, you're saving trees. You might scratch your head and say, what? What does that mean? Well, think about it. In a lot of low-income countries, they chop down trees. To boil water because their water is not potable it's not healthy or drinkable so they gotta boil it I saw it all over Africa they are chopping down so many trees and it's especially dangerous around the Sahel which is a southern part of the Sahara and we need that tree chopping to stop and one of the best ways is to hand Africans some filters once they realize the power of that and that they don't have to go and lug and cut trees down that will help change the world and help lower deforestation and lower the, and improve their lives. Their filters last over 10 years and they also reduce diarrhea up to 90%. By December 20th, Liberia will be the first low income country to have clean water from border to border. And that is thanks to Sawyer. So go to Sawyer and check out their products and help them out because by helping them out, you're helping out other people get clean water as well. So, welcome to the Wanderlearn podcast. I'm your host, France Tapon. In this episode, it's an Ask Me Anything episode for my patrons, and I'm going to distribute this out there. It's actually one of my patrons, Yida, who asked a bunch of questions, and I figured, well, I'll just make a podcast just for Yida. So, here we go. Um, he
1: wrote, I was looking through your Nigeria chapter, and I like what that you included information about African planned... Cities, I learned something new and I didn't know that there are two new cities that are multi-billion dollar cities uh, by Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria. Urban planning seems to be such a difficult challenge in places like Lagos, which is the biggest city in Nigeria and the biggest city in Africa. So I'm interested in your perspective, he writes. He says, is planning and designing Nigerian cities a futile exercise because the plans get outdated? by the time it is implemented due to the rising population and traffic congestion? Were there any particular cities or neighborhoods in Africa you felt safe in or were impressed by? Or perhaps there were cities where you could tell the planners had good intentions and put a lot of effort into it, but it didn't work as planned in reality. These are all really good questions, Yida. So let me try to answer them.
0: It's not a futile exercise. City planning is an old, old art and practice that civilizations have done all over the place. And even back in Egyptian times, when you had the pharaohs deciding to put a lot of the necropolises on one side of the Nile, that was kind of a planned thing. There was nothing there at that time. And they decided, we're going to make this a necropolis, Also, you see Washington, D.C. was built on a swamp. So was St. Petersburg in Russia. So there is a long history of successful planned cities. And I think the fact that Africa is trying to do that is not unusual. And in fact, Africa has already been successful at making, quote-unquote, planned cities. One example is Abuja, the capital of Nigeria. What happened was, this is a common theme, actually, in human civilization, where a country is formed... They have the most biggest, the biggest city is usually on the coast. For example, in this case, it was Lagos. And they said, "Okay, well, you know, we have this big city on the coast and we need to, you know, kind of populate the hinterland and maybe put our capital in the center of the country strategically. And that's what they did. Abuja is just that city. There's another example of that happening right now as we speak, which is in Tanzania. Tanzania, the biggest city is Dar Salaam. And that city is uh being replaced by a new city built quote unquote artificially. Well, I mean it already exists there, but it was a tiny little town. And I'm blanking out on the name, it starts with a D, <laughs> Dodoma, and that is going to be, or in fact it already is, the capital of Tanzania. And Brazil did this, by the way. Rio de Janeiro was the capital for a long time, and they decided, you know what, we've got all the population in of, of Brazil, practically 90% of it was sitting there on the coast. And we need to kind of do something inland besides Manaus. So they decided Brasilia. And they was it's a planned city, has like five highways. It's a crazy place to, in some ways to visit. And you might say it was a failed experiment because very few people live there. You got these five-lane highways that very few people actually use. But one day, Brazil will grow into it. And it did have an impact in trying to spread out Brazil's development so that it wasn't only focused on the coast so I'm not against planned cities I think it can be a useful thing I know that also Moscow is doing that there's been many people that have been trying to do what Silicon Valley did which is create this kind of tech haven and in Moscow they're doing their they've done that some people say successfully some people not Dubai, another great example of an artificial, quote-unquote, city. I mean, 30 years ago, there was it was just plain desert out in, in there. And now, suddenly, you've got, you know, one of the most touristic places in the Middle East. Probably the most touristic place on the Middle East, and it's been a center for all sorts of commerce. So, the list of things like that go on and on, and uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Uh, but Yida's right in the fact that this takes... Many, many years to plan out. And if you have a fast-growing population, that can make things quite difficult because you have to kind of counter that and you're trying to catch this thing that's going too fast. So um, traffic congestion is another issue. The same thing. The only way to solve it is to have some subway system. And in Africa, as far as I can tell, the only sub-Saharan subway system that I remember seeing is in Johannesburg in um, South Africa. Aside from that, there is no uh subway system anywhere in the sub Sahara, and that's because subway systems are really, really expensive you gotta <laughs> to, to to build. And so for them the you know, time in Africa is less valuable than money. Um and so or at least it's not worth much. And so a city that puts up with a two hour congestion to go from one end of the city to the other, it's not that bad, versus if that's in Tokyo, two hours congestion, that's just unacceptable for a high-income country like that. So one day, um, as these African cities continue to get richer, then they will hit that threshold when all of a sudden it makes sense to make subways and do that. So uh, until then, uh, you can expect uh, traffic jams. And by the way, traffic jams are pretty much a thing everywhere in the planet. I mean, I I don't think I've ever been to a city that's over a million or two million people where there is no traffic it's just it's just kind of the way it goes it's it's just people want to live there and there's only so many uh things you can move point a from point b and once you get into the millions of people in a few square kilometers there's going to be congestion somewhere you know either in the subway or over land or usually both um you know it'll be interesting to see once we go uh beyond that we go into other uh places like uh, the air, and we start getting congestion and traffic congestion in the air. Some people say we're already there, but frankly, I don't, I don't see it. Until I start seeing the sky filled with uh, flying planes and, and drones, then I don't think we're there yet. So um, he also asked, were there any particular cities and neighborhoods that you, where you felt safe and were impressed by? Well, safe, I felt safe almost everywhere in Africa. And in general, Africa is a supremely safe place. Um, even in the inner city and that kind of stuff now as a white guy you are a target and so but even so I didn't I didn't feel particularly bad although I did get mugged in Cameroon there's places where for example I was in Namibia in winduk which is their capital and there was a place I went to a primarily black neighborhood I mean you would think that's all black but you know there's five percent white in Namibia and so uh, it was one of the poorer parts of winduk and the people i met there they're saying oh no 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 we have to we have to escort you to go to the shop otherwise something bad could happen to you i think they're being a little bit overproductive but who knows so i was was safe pretty much almost everywhere but as far as impressed by um i would say definitely the first thing that came to mind was in rwanda kigali the capital of rwanda that really felt like i call it the switzerland of africa it's a very clean orderly city uh, relatively little traffic; it's one of those exceptions. I, you know, you could say that you know, high density, high population, and yet traffic kind of flows relatively well. No trash on the street, which is uncommon in most of the sub sahara The other one is Abidjan, in uh, the biggest city in Cote d'Ivoire. And by the way, speaking of Cote d'Ivoire, their capital is also a quote-unquote artificial city. The capital of Cote d'Ivoire is Yamoussoukro. Yamoussoukro is the hometown of one of their first presidents. And their first president was this egomaniac. He did a lot of great things for Cote d'Ivoire. But uh, and one of the things he did was build the biggest basilica in the world. And there you go. It's actually bigger than the Vatican. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And I didn't even know about it until I got there. And I just turned a corner. I saw this enormous basilica. I was like, what? (laughs) What's this thing doing here? Um, And he tried, really, because it was his hometown and he wanted to become the center. And it was in the center of uh, Cote d'Ivoire that he wanted to make it to be a rich, fabulous capital. And that is an example of a relatively failed. I say most people would say it it failed because Abidjan continues to be really the economic and political uh, center of the country of Cote d'Ivoire. So um, that's an example of a failed experiment. But I was impressed by Abidjan. It was quite quite nice. I also really like Dakar in Senegal. It was a nice was a nice town to go. I love the gleaming towers of, of Dar Salaam. There's like these three super great towers. Dar Salaam not as bad as I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be really bad. Same thing with Nairobi. Nairobi is actually surprisingly um, well managed and developed and uh, paved roads, although they have too many of uh, these Dodan in French, but it's uh, speed bumps that are everywhere. Uh, that's just ridiculous. And that's a pl- It plagues the entire African continent are those, these speed bumps that they put everywhere. And of course, Cape Town, everybody loves Cape Town, and Vinduk, which is the capital of, of Namibia, is also great. Kinshasa, I thought, was going to be a complete disaster, but it really wasn't. Um, it turned out to be better. And I guess that's a common theme. A lot of African cities I hear about, you know, like, oh... And I just expect, like, complete disaster. And and, and really, uh, I guess maybe my expectations were so low that it's really not so bad. And then thinking about North Africa, really a gem out there is um, Algiers, the capital of Algeria. Just a wonderful, wonderful city. Um, highly recommended. And I did not go to any of the northern cities in Libya. Uh, Tunisia, anywhere you go, is pretty clean and great. Then you have Egypt, which is... You know, Cairo is kind of, uh, you know, one of the biggest cities in Africa and, and it's chaotic, but you know, it's okay. Let's take a 60 second break to thank one of our sponsors, icelab.co. This is the best time to move to the mountain town of your dreams. COVID-19 has changed how the world does business and many people are now working remotely. So why not live in the mountain paradise you've always dreamed of? The Gunnison Valley. In Colorado is that perfect place. Why? Because it's nestled between four spectacular mountain ranges. It has 750 miles of biking and hiking and crested buttes, world-class skiing. And then there's that award-winning school system. It's got it all. Now imagine waking up in your ultimate destination every morning, no traffic, no crowded trails, no more wishing you lived in the mountains. Work where you play in Gunnison Valley. To start living your dream, visit icelab.co. That's
1: icelab.co. He says... Are, are there perhaps cities where you could tell the planners had these good intentions and put in a lot of... but it wasn't executed?
0: I would say Yamasukuro was probably a good example of that, where they really kind of wanted to plan it out and they, and they built this huge basilica and they tried to build up the infrastructure but they really it wasn't well executed. So and you know that's probably the the prime example of of that something that kind of fell short. Okay, he says um he says as you wrote in a detailed section you wrote a detailed section about malaria. So I sent out uh, to my patrons the chapter on Nigeria unedited, 30,000 words, 30,000 words to put that in perspective. A book can be 30,000 words, a small book. But uh, most books are like 60,000 words, you know. So basically, it's almost half a book. And that was just one chapter out of my 54 chapters. And I was like, guys, I need to edit this down dramatically. I'm going to cut 90%. And then some people said, no, don't cut it down 90%. Share with us some of that uh, stuff and let us read it before you throw it on the cutting room room floor. And uh, so I did. And he read it and he noticed that I wrote a lot about, I had a lot of notes about malaria And he said, I was wondering if you're planning to follow up on discussion about COVID-19 in Africa and some of the major responses and developments. Yeah, COVID-19 in Africa, that's an untold story. You know, people just talk about how African-Americans have been plagued by COVID-19, have suffered more than the rest of the United States uh, citizens, uh, other races in America, and and they always kind of imply that this is a racist thing you know like that that almost as if some people are so much like a conspiracy thing like covid is is designed almost to like hurt the black people of america and 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 that there's some sort of almost conspiracy against it i'm like let's look at the con- the continent that was least affected by covid and it's the african continent it's full of black people <laughs> you've got one, 1. 1.5 billion uh people there well, a billion of them are black um and they're relatively unscathed. And to me, that's a testament of a couple of things. Number one, that COVID really targets old people. And Africa doesn't have that many old people. It's very few people. I mean, most there's countries that have life expectancies of about 50. Uh, Most Africa is a little bit higher. It's closer in the 60s. But there's some countries in their 50s. And finding a person over their 70s is rare in Africa, in, in much of Africa. So um, that, to me, is the biggest reason why Africa has not been that impacted by COVID. Uh, the other reason is that Africans spend a lot of times outside because it's warm and they don't have air conditioning. They a lot of times don't have electricity. And so they don't want to spend a whole lot of times indoors. And so as a result, they want to spend all their time outside. It's stuffy. It's hot inside. It's not comfortable. And so even at night, people, people sleep outside. In a lot of places I went to in Africa, they eat, and some of them with mosquito nets, others without. But the point is, is that by being outside, it's another thing to get rid of COVID or to, to not have so much exposure to it. Is being outside. Um, a lot of times, all the windows are open in offices and that kind of stuff, just to have ventilation and, and flow. These are things I think that are helping the Africans uh, cope with COVID. Quite a bit. The downside of Africa is that they do like to touch each other a lot. You know, they love to shake hands. It's it's a kind of a common thing. So I don't know how they're dealing with that. And they are incredibly social people. So that's another downside that they have. But overall, it's showing to me that the the biggest predictor about how you're going to be affected with COVID is your age. Number one, Uh, maybe how much time you spend outside or not, whether you're getting your vitamin D, um, and then. Another issue that people, I guess, uh, don't think about is obesity. And a lot of uh, Africans, they have to move around. They don't own cars. So they take public transportation or they walk a lot. And a lot of the women carry things on their head. Now, obesity is increasing. But in general, it's one of the least uh, it's a relatively thin continent, certainly compared to Europe and North America. So that's kind of my take on COVID in Africa. And I remember one of my former uh, patrons was kind of feeling terrible because she had to leave southern Africa. I think she was in Lesotho or something like that. She's like, oh, my God, I'm running away from Africa and I feel like I'm abandoning them. And it's going to be kind of like a graveyard by the time I come back because everybody's going to die of COVID. And I told her to kind of relax, relax. I think they'll be all right. They've suffered through a lot more uh, terrible tropical diseases before. And I think they'll get through this one. And sure enough uh they seem to have it's too early to tell at this point but this so far so good
1: now he also says who is the intended audience for your book for the unseen africa do you see children and educators reading your books Perhaps some of the geography, social studies, teachers, and professors have already read your books and perhaps reached out to you. There is lots of good discussion questions and essay topics that could come out of every chapter. Your book is very educational, filled with facts, geography, history, culture, told in your engaging narrative voice. Thank you. he says, however, the funny adult stories and frank discussions on sex polygamy means it would be rated M for mature. Chances are, kids working on projects would be unlikely to find this book in their school libraries. I can see teenagers enjoying this, and the book is very readable. I'm curious whether the book, this book would be selected by teachers, school librarians, as part of educational resources. He says, I first found the hidden Europe at a local public library, but not in local bookstores or the university libraries. I can see the unseen Africa being used as an introduction to Africa and students and then consult your bibliography for more academic reading.
0: So. so thank you, Yida, for all the compliments, and I understand the whole issue. And by the way, I suffered the same thing with The Hidden Europe, because The Hidden Europe, as those who've read it know, there are a few titillating scenes in it. Mm. It's probably 1% of the entire book, but because they're so memorable, <laughs> people make it sound like it's a, a big portion of the book, like as if a quarter of the book is all about sex. Which, in fact, it's not. Which, if I maybe maybe that's my problem. Maybe if I had made a quarter of it, sex I would have sold a lot more copies. Part of the reason that several people have said it's engaging, it's fun to read, that kind of stuff part of it is because it's light and because I do delve into topics that are a bit titillating and exciting and, and kind of taboo. And that I think really engages people, but obviously because they're not academic and because. Uh, Some people are, you know, looking at this and saying, you know, oh, my God, this is, uh, you know, this is rated M for mature. And maybe that's not good. You know, it's hard to write a book about the unseen Africa and not talk about the unseen sides of Africa. And one of the things that is just not talked about in the media is sex and polygamy and sexual relations and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's something that needs to be. It doesn't need to be talked about, but I would like to talk about it. My first book, which is called Hike Your Own Hike, Seven Life Lessons from Backpacking Across America, has been used as a textbook uh, repeatedly. And I know that because I get university orders, you know, when they order like 20 copies of the book or 30 copies of the book at a time for their for their students. So I know it's getting used. The Hidden Europe has not, and I think it could be and should be. And so the same thing with the Africa. But you're right. I'm limiting myself in some ways by not by 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 not making it more PG or you know, uh more more safe for for young people to read. So I'm not they're not my target audience. You know, young children are not my target audience. This is a mature subject that I deal with. I do occasionally swear in the book, um, things like that. So definitely it's a rated PG thirteen. How about that? Because teenagers, let's face it, they know a lot about a lot more about sex than you and me. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTapon. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wanderlearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.